Church Audio, striving to introduce people to Jesus through scripture, biblical instruction, and prayer with authenticity and vibrancy. You don't need to know anything about the Bible. Just sit back, relax, and let God do the rest. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and leave a rating and review. And please consider supporting this ministry through a tax-deductible donation at mountainview.church. That's mountainview.church slash give. Now here's this week's message. Hi, my name is Dagmar. I'm reading from Luke 3, verse uh, 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus has also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Hi, my name is Aaron and I'm a pastoral apprentice here at Mountain View Church. Over the next month, Elijah, the other pastoral apprentice, and I will be preaching a series called Our God in Trinity. Our goal will be to attempt attempt to relate to you the way that we understand that God has chosen to reveal himself to humanity via scripture. That's a mouthful. And this whole series could become very complicated if we're not careful. When I sat to prepare and write out this sermon, even when I first started thinking about it, I quickly realized the difficulty posed in what we're going to attempt. We're going to try and explain God. How does one explain God? The answer is very carefully. So Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This means that he is infinitely above us and beyond us. See, no matter how much I think we know about who God is, or how he thinks, or how he is, and what he wants, I will only ever be be able to barely begin to scratch the surface. I will only be able to do this based on what he has chosen to reveal about himself in his word. And since he is the author, my explanation of him depends entirely on him. I dare not just start throwing around my opinions or the opinions of others. Now, it's one thing to read a book written by somebody who's, who's theologizing or, or trying to understand God and, and putting it into their own words, how they think he is. That's a good thing. What others think of God is, is useful to us, but we dare not use their deep thoughts on theology as, as our only source for preaching. It is quite another thing to preach than to theorize. And one of my most common prayers is that God will not allow me to preach anything but the truth. So I must look to scripture, the Bible. The Bible is where we find answers. And even then, I need to rely on the Holy Spirit to illuminate what I find. If you've ever tried to read the Bible, and I believe that every Christian should, on a regular basis, immerse themselves in its pages, You know how difficult it can be to understand. It's written in ancient languages and then translated. 
It's written by over 40 authors over a period of, of well over 1,500 years. It's daunting. And we need God's help. Now, we have helpful tools like study Bibles, commentaries from people much smarter than I, and language translation software, but most of all, what we need is the Holy Spirit's help to understand. We need to rely on God to know anything about God. And so over the next month, we will do just that. We'll look to him for guidance in how best to present who he is. I think I can speak for Elijah as well as myself when I say this is the most difficult topic on which we have ever tried to preach. There are pastors that will go their whole career avoiding preaching on the nature of God. God is so far beyond us and his ways are so far above our ways. We got to be very careful not to let our own reasoning or opinions get in the way. We must be diligent and accurate in honoring him. And so I want to do something a little different. I would ask you bow your heads with me just for a moment at this time, just to pray for us that God would guide us in this series. Lord, uh, we're honored to be in this position. We're honored to be able to be here and to be able to speak about you and to have people listening to us. But with that honor comes a weight. Lord, we, we need your help. We need you to use us in order to relay what you want people to hear. Lord, I, I pray that this is glorifying to you, that it honors you, and that it pleases you. Please be with us throughout this series. In Jesus' name, amen. There are many ways that people think God is. Many different forms in which people think he exists. Often we see people use created things as not only a means to try and explain how God is, but even as iterations of God himself. What I mean by this is, for example, a fair amount of people these days think that the universe is God. They'll pray to the universe. They'll put out thoughts and desires into the ether and expect that somehow the universe itself will respond in some mystical sort of way. Others believe that God exists as nature. They'll look at the incredible depth and an intricate complexity of our ecosystems and think that must be God. And then there are those who just straight up worship things made by man, like statues or icons. All of these beliefs are inherently flawed in that they attribute deity to that which was made. We must look beyond the created things to the creator of all things to find God. One could say we see a glimpse of God and how he is in the created thing, and that wouldn't be wrong in that we see a bit of how God is in that which he has made. For example, by looking at the universe and all the systems contained within, we can surmise that God is a God of order and structure. We can listen to the sound of a child's laughter and know that God is a God who loves joy. We can observe a sunset and we are sure that he is a God who loves beauty and depth. We can look at the way a duck waddles and the sounds they make. And I can pretty confidently say just by that, that he has a sense of humor. Ducks are hilarious to me anyways. But these examples only show us the things that are important to him or things about him. They perhaps give us a glimpse of his attributes, but not his nature itself. We must look to scripture to know about who God is. When we look deeply into the word, 
we start to see something interesting emerge. God seems to show himself to be more than just one form. In fact, upon close inspection of the Old and New Testament, we see that he actually shows up as three distinct persons and yet is one God. This is not to say persons as we might use the word to mean people, but rather to mean individuals. He reveals himself to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons with one divine nature. All three are God, but they are not each other. They exist eternally in perfect unity, but are indeed separate in function. They are God. Another thing we can get hung up on is trying to use creation to illustrate his Trinitarian nature. Perhaps you've heard of the egg analogy, how a shell, the white, and the yolk all being different, but all making up an egg as a whole. Another common one is the different forms water takes, so liquid, ice, and steam, all being H2O, but in different forms. I've even heard of toothpaste being used, with the red stripe and the blue stripe and the white paste all having different purposes, but coming together to make up toothpaste. These sound good on the surface, and perhaps they get us slightly closer to understanding him, but they all fall short. And if we rely on analogies and everyday props, we will not be doing him any sort of justice. God is not common. He's not simple, and therefore cannot be summed up in a common or simple sort of way. And we endanger ourselves of limiting his majesty and mystery to the confines of an egg. God is infinitely more impressive than an egg or water or anything else that he created. It's a very hard concept for us to grasp, his Trinitarian nature, as we live in a very linear existence and we think of things only in terms of what we can see or what we have seen. God transcends all of that. God is one being, but existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if your brain is not already a little bit wrecked by this, I will do you one better and say that the Son is also fully God and fully man at the same time. Confused? Check this out. This is the best illustration I've ever come across to explain this in a sort of visual way that we can see and understand. This is an illustration of the Godhead in which we see all three persons of God distinct and separate from each other, but connected and together. All three have been a part of our story, the story of humanity, from our creation, through our redemption, and into our eternal future. There was a scholar by the name of Nabil Qureshi who died in 2017, but not before he did some really great work for the kingdom of God. See, he was a, he was a Pakistani American who actually had converted from Islam and became a Christian author and apologist. And he was very good at explaining scripture. He was very good at using scripture to back up how, how, we, how we believe, what our faith is. And, and he explained the trini Trinity nature of God really well. And I'm going to quote him by saying, God is one in being and three in person. Being is the quality that makes you what you are. Person, who you are. He went on further to explain, and I'll paraphrase this part. If we look at ourselves, we see one in one. I am a human being 
and I'm also Aaron. I'm, I'm one being and one person. God is one being, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the most well-known and clear examples of the three persons of the Godhead being present at one given time in Scripture is documented during Jesus' baptism. And so we'll read in Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. This is the same passage that Dagmar read for us earlier. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So we've got Jesus the Son, the incarnation of the Son, having been baptized. We've got the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and we've got a voice from heaven who is the Father saying, you are my Son. So we see all three of them there. All three are God, but different persons doing different things, different functions. Another example is in John 14, 26. And it's Jesus now, and he's, he's about to ascend to heaven, and he's speaking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus saying, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. See, they're all working together. God, the three persons of God, are all working together. Our triune God is very invested in us. And all three persons of the Godhead have a significant role in our salvation. Now, there's an author by the name of J.I. Packer, and he's written a book called Knowing God. He wrote many books. And, and they're very deep theology. He's, he's very, very well-versed in theology. He understands so much more than I understand. And this book is a very good book, and it's a lot for your brain. But he explains things so well. And in the book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, God is triune. There are within the Godhead three persons, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the work of salvation is one in which all three act together. The Father purposing our redemption, the Son securing it, and the Spirit applying it. In other words, the Father wills our salvation, Jesus makes it possible, and the Holy Spirit makes it a reality. Three working together. So now that we've established the nature of our triune God and the way in which he reveals himself in Scripture, we must ask this question, why is this important? Why is understanding the doctrine of the Trinity one of the more complicated doctrines in Christianity? Why is that important? I mean, it's not like after our understanding of this complicated concept, God is all of a sudden going to change. He's going to be how he is and who he is, regardless of whether we get it or not. But I want to bring to you three points that I think are important reasons for us to, to try and grasp this, to try and understand the Trinity, to try and understand what this three-in-one is about. The first one is that the Trinity sets Christianity apart from all the other religions. Now, there are many religions that are monotheistic, that have one God, or only, only God showing up in one form. And some of these would include Islam and Judaism, 
Um, they don't recognize Jesus as being God. And there's also parts of uh, areas within Christianity itself that, that have a oneness doctrine. So many religions only see one God or only see God as one being one person. There's other religions that have a pantheon of gods, many gods for, for different things. So I remember in, I think it was grade six, we did a study on the, on the Greek gods, on, on the gods that the Greeks had come up with. And each god had a different thing. And I did a report, we all had to do a book report, and mine was on Dionysus, um, the god of parties and fun, which was an interesting report to read. But, but what that did, what learning about that did, showed me that they believed that there was a god for everything. So there was a god for hunting, there was a god for war, there was a god for blacksmiths, there was a god of thunder, there was a god of the sea, etc., etc. They had many gods. So the idea of the Trinity, the idea of this three persons, one nature, is very specific to Christianity. It sets us apart. How we see that God has revealed himself in Scripture is what we base this on. So that's reason number one. And there's a verse, Ephesians 2.18. It says, it's Paul speaking, and he's speaking of Jews and Greeks being able to access God. So Jews being the Jewish people and Greeks being anybody who's not Jewish. In this, in this context. And he says, for through him, through Jesus, we both, Jews and Greeks, have access in one spirit to the Father. So all three become a part of our, well, we become a part of God's story, basically. But Christianity is set apart in this. Second reason that I think it's important is the loving submission of the Son to the Father is a great example for us to follow. See, we're saved by grace. We're saved by our faith in Jesus' grace. And we don't love and submit to Jesus so that he will save us. We love and submit to Jesus because he saved us and because we believe in him and because we love him and we want everyone to know that he's our savior, that he's our God, and that we truly love him. That is why we obey and we submit. There's a verse in John 1431, a, uh, 1431a just means the first part of the verse. And says, it's Jesus speaking, and he says, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. What an example this is for us. Christ's loving submission to the Father. Remember, they exist eternally in perfect unity. One is not better than the other. But Christ submits to the Father so that the world will know that he loves the Father. That is a great example for us in our submission to Christ. Now, he is better than us. But our submission can show the world that we love him. There's not much better witness that we can that we can do or we can we can show the world than just love. In John 13, 34, John, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Such as I have loved you, so should you love one another. We can give such a good example, and our example comes from the love and the submission we see within the Trinity. And the third thing, the third reason that I want to highlight today is that the Trinity highlights God's love for us not his need for us. See, God already has perfect love 
perfect unity, perfect community within himself, within the Godhead. He does not need us to fill that spot. We don't add to the situation. We don't add to God. But he wants us to be a part of the story. He wants us. He doesn't need us. He wants us to be a part of his story. What a great love he must have for us to want to include us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us so much that he's willing to sacrifice himself to bring us to him. God was willing to die for us, for you, so that you could have relationship with him. This is mind-blowing. It's, it's called agape love. It's the love that God has for his own. He doesn't need us. He just wants us. John 3, 16 through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus, God, gave himself so that we could be redeemed and renewed and enter again into a relationship with him as we were intended when he created us in the first place. Jesus died but didn't stay dead. He, he took our sin to the grave, defeated death by rising on the third day, and has ascended to heaven to prepare a place for us, his children. This is called the gospel. And this is what our faith is all about. And it's, it is based on God's Trinitarian nature. In 1647, there was a group of theologians from the Church of England and the Church of Scotland, and they got together to write kind of a summary of the faith of Reformed Christian doctrine. And it's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And what it, it basically explains point by point what faith in Jesus is, what Christianity is. And point six speaks on the triune God. It says there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. And these three are one God the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Over the next three weeks, Elijah and I will attempt to present a deeper look at each one of these persons of the Godhead. It's a daunting task, but we're honored to do it. Charles Spurgeon once said, No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. I couldn't agree more. Let's pray. Father, as we close today, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak. Uh, I want to thank you for, for the technology we have to get this out there, and I want to thank you for all of the people who are willing to listen. I ask that you change our hearts Lord, that you would make our hearts want to know you, that you would, you would create in us a desire for a deeper understanding of you and a deeper relationship with you. It is because of you that we can know you, and it is because of you that we will get to know you better. It all comes down to you, and it all comes down to the salvation that is provided through your Son, through Jesus. Lord, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. 
It's a miracle what you've done in my life, what you've done in anybody who believes life. Thank you for investing in us. Thank you for caring. And thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we may understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've got a few discussion questions as we do at Mountain View, and I just want to run those by you. These are things that you should talk about. Talk it through. Talk it with somebody that, that is a Christian or talk about it with somebody who's not a Christian. Question one is, what can you do in your life to better understand God? Now, I've, I've told you where, where I kind of get my understanding of God is mostly from Scripture. Um, he has revealed himself in here, and it's his, his message to us but also through prayer and asking him to reveal himself in, in the day-to-day -day around us. And we catch, like I said, glimpses of his attributes and stuff in all that he has made. So what can you do in your life to better understand God? And the second question is how complete is your submission to Christ? Is your submission a reflection of the son's submission to the father, the son who submitted in that he was willing to even go to his death to serve the father's will? Now, we are to be submissive to Christ because he is our Savior. He is our King. How complete is your submission to Jesus? Stay tuned for next week. Elijah will be up speaking on the Father, and then I will speak on the Son and him on the Holy Spirit. And we'll do, we'll do our best to try and make this more clear. Thanks for coming, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If you've given your life to Jesus today or would like to join, serve, or support Mountain View Church, please let us know at mountainview.church connect. That's mountainview.church connect. Have a blessed week.